I want us to uh, I want to give you another opportunity to say hey to the person next to you. Um, and um, if you are a moviegoer, then this will be something that you'll enjoy uh, discussing. What I want you to talk about is what movies have you seen that had great visual effects? What movies have you seen that had great visual effects? I'll give you a chance to talk among yourselves, and then I'll, I'll ask for some responses here in just a few seconds. All right? Oh. Now, I know what's happening right now. You're, you're like, I'd, I'd really like to go see that movie that my neighbor just mentioned. And you know, you're, you're ready to bust out of here and rent it or go see it or something like that. Um, if you could hang around for just a few more minutes before you go, <laughs> go see that. Um, so this, the context of this um, divine spectacle, and I call it a divine spectacle because that's kind of how the scripture refers to it as a, this event, um, the word that it's talking about in uh, Matthew 17, it can be translated as divine spectacle. And can we agree that there were some amazing visual effects that were taking place as Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah? Were they kind of like hologram figures? Were they really there? Um, There's the glowing and the face that's like the sun and the clothes that are dazzling white and all that's taken place here and just a little bit of context around this just uh, less than a week earlier Jesus was talking to his apprentices and he posed a question so who do people say that I am and they began to give different answers and then he posed a really big question directly to them who do you say that I am which is a great question for any of us to wrestle with who do we say that Jesus is And Peter spoke up, which is not surprising if you know Peter. He spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So this takes place just a few days before. And I wonder for those few days, if Peter was like, you know, I passed the test. I I know who I'm talking about here. But then I wonder if in this event, Peter's thinking, wow, just when you think you know somebody. I mean, this is like way beyond the right answer I just gave on this on this quiz. Um, and so we've got this event taking place. And and these apprentices, Peter, James and John, are not just fully engrossed in this, but they know the stories of their ancestors and their history, what we would call the Old Testament accounts of what's taking place. And so I, I wonder if whether it was in the moment or upon reflection, Peter, James and John began to connect some dots and they remembered, OK, we just we just climbed a hill and entered into this cloud where there was this voice speaking to us. Um, and I wonder if they began to remember, you know, Moses was called to climb a mountain and he entered into a cloud and he heard the voice of God. And after Moses would spend time in the presence of God, Moses' face would glow. Um, the voice that they heard God calling, kind of naming, re-identifying Jesus, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he adds, listen to him. They probably would have remembered that not too long before, this was the same voice 
given over the same man, Jesus, when he was baptized. This is my beloved son. It's like the first time God is, the Father is saying this so Jesus can hear it and Jesus can be reminded that he is the son of the Father. But this time, it's like Peter, James, and John are the ones that really, this is my beloved son. I need the three of you to really get this. And now I want you to listen to him. So this is all taking place, and this is kind of the context of what, what we're looking at. And as Dave mentioned, um, as a part of uh, you know, some of the upcoming things with Ash Wednesday, and then a week from tonight with our evening retreat, uh, we are entering into this part of the Christian year known as Lent, and this is Transfiguration Sunday. So there are, are churches all around the world that are looking at this passage um, and and diving into it, and it's it's kind of a, it's a great passage for us headed into Lent, I think, because Lent is a time of, of we we look inward and we we recognize in this time of Lent as we prepare and it leads up to Good Friday and then Easter, we are reminded that suffering and even death is a part of the journey. Uh, but this is also a passage where we see kind of the transfigured, the transformed Christ. He's like, this is, yes, there's a time of suffering, but this is who I am. This is who you will spend eternity with. Because in, in Matthew 16, Jesus has just told these three and some other apprentices, um, I must suffer and I must die. And I wonder what kind of impact they, that had. But then they're blessed with this encounter. They get to see what this transfigured Christ is going to be like. And so as we enter into Lent, I think this is a great passage for us to keep in mind that, um, yes, we enter into seasons that uh, include suffering and loss and, and a death to self and maybe a death to some of our dreams. But God is in the business of resurrecting something new and bringing to life what we think is dead. And so we get to this passage and, and, and right away, it just jumps right in. Therefore, uh, there he was transfigured. And this word transfigured is a Greek word, metamorpho. I think we could probably guess what one of our English words comes from this. He was metamorphosized. Uh, the, the most vivid example of this that I have been taught over the years is this is a big change. This is not just something externally, but this is something that changes from within. This is a, an entire change of, of being, kind of like a, going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. There is a metamorphosis that has taken place. And it's the same word that is used in Romans 12, 1 and 2, as we are encouraged, uh, we are urged to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, no longer being conformed to the ways of this world, but being transformed, being metamorphosized to the glory of God by the renewing of our minds. And it goes on to say, so that you can discern and do the will of God. So there is a transformation that Jesus encounters, this transfiguration, and at the same time we are invited into a process of transfiguring, of transforming, of being changed. Now what Jesus encountered in that moment, I wish we could each just kind of at the snap of a finger be instantly changed completely changed, but we realize that this is a lifelong process that will come to fruition for those of us who believe in God. It comes to fruition completely 
in the context of heaven. But in the meantime, we are in this process of being transfigured. So this is just all of this taking place. What were the what were the movies that you mentioned uh, for visual effects? Midway. Midway. Okay, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. Avatar. Avatar. Oh yeah, Avatar. Yes. Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. Yes. All right. That was um, that was my mom's favorite movie, and I bought her the book and. Um, it was like some like really old copy of the book, but we, I have very fond memories of, of watching Gone with the Wind. I also have very fond memories of Carol Burnett's uh, take on that. For those of you that remember, when he, she comes down with the uh, drapes on her shoulders. Yes, saw it in the window and couldn't resist or something like that is what she said, yeah. Uh, yes, in the Cardinal's hoodie. Star Wars. Star Wars, yes. Good answer. Yeah, does anybody know what, uh, in the Oscars, what, what movie won special for special effects this year? I had to look it up too. 1917. 1917. So I went and watched that on, on Friday. That was it was great. Irishman. The Irishman. Yeah. I still haven't finished that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of Irishman. What's the, Oh yes. <laughs> What am I getting myself into here? The oh, Irishman. The, the Irishman. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I, I, will, I will try to finish that. <laughs> the, um, yeah, the visual effects. Can you imagine what it was like without visual effects? I mean, these, these movies obviously take on a whole different feel for us because of that. Um, but we would have to agree that it's, it's the storyline and it's the characters that really make the movie. If it's only special effects, then we'd probably realize there's something that's missing. One of the, um, one of the commentaries that I read had this to say about the transfiguration. What is significant in this event of the transfiguration is not the special effects, but what it affirms about the early church's foundational belief about Jesus. Namely, that he was not just another exceptional human being, prophet, or great teacher, an example for all, but the decisive representation of the divine. It's all about Jesus. This is what it comes back to. All of these great effects, and we can imagine all of this, but really, this is the storyline. Jesus is the Son of God who has come to earth to rescue us. It is always about Jesus. Um, in this, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what is, what is an apprentice's approach? How do, how do we as apprentices approach God? How do we follow Him? And a, an apprentice, just a real simple working definition, an apprentice or a disciple is one who follows Jesus, who is being formed by Jesus. In other words, metamorphosized by Jesus and who is committed to the mission of Jesus. In other words, we see that other people should be transformed. Other people should experience Jesus as we have and become uh, a part of this big work that he's doing in the world. So as we are formed, as we are transformed, as we are transfigured, the good news is, although we can't experience that right away, the good news is, indeed, we can experience change. If you're here this morning and you find that you have been 
bumping up against the same wall maybe for years, I want you to know that God's not giving up on the the possibilities, the opportunities for you on the other side of this. He wants you to experience the freedoms that are a part of this ongoing work of transformation. And this is something that begins inwardly. Paul describes this in that verse uh, that I was talking about in Romans 12. This is by the renewing of our minds. It begins with a new way of thinking. It begins with a new way of, of considering what are we going to dwell on and how does that change us. But it has an effect outwardly. Last week I had a soda can that I was shaking. Some of you, I felt a little bit of tension in the room. Um, Dan did a great job. He didn't even flinch as I opened up this shaken can of soda right in his face. In fact, I think he had his mouth open, ready. Um, But it was empty, which was kind of the surprise. Um, And this is kind of the visual effect. When we are shaken, when something has happened inside of us, the effect is going to be surprising to the world around us. When we are transformed, we are no longer acting the way that we maybe typically act. But people see that there has a a change that has begun to take place in us. When we are shaken, the world is going to stand up and take notice. Wow, there is this person still shows love. And what a beautiful display of self-control. Or in a really tense moment for you um, to be transformed to where you can model a life of patience. Or for you to take your hands off the wheel and you don't have to be in control. For these to be the types of things that over time, and it's not going to be just because you finally can check this off. Okay, great. I've, I've, now I'm patient <laughs> that you move on from it. But as we kind of cycle through and as we grow and make progress in this transforming that, that, we are, uh, that we are given an opportunity to experience, it is something that will visually impact the world around us. The story is always about Jesus. But you and I have an opportunity as we are transfigured for the world to take notice and see, wow, things, things can be different Our transfiguration, like Christ, will involve suffering and death. This is the part, I think we all like the thought of change. We don't like the thought of what we have to go through for change. I've I've always heard it said, we all want a miracle. We just don't want to be in a place where we need one. Okay? (laughs) So I think when it comes to this transforming work that God wants to do in us, um, there are some things that we might have to go through that we would... If we could circumvent, we would. But he's saying, this is something that you need to go through, but on the other side of this is a transfigured you. In Romans 12, it says, present your body as a living sacrifice. There's going to be an element of of cost that goes with this. And the result of that is um, we look more like Christ We respond with a more Christ-like attitude. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we are able to discern and then do the will of God. So a part of this transforming is not just so we look different, um, but it is so that we can continue to make that impact in the world around us. So I had to ask myself this week as I was kind of playing with that idea of 
visual effects and what kind of effect has my own transformation made on my family or on my neighbors or just the world around me, would I be nominated for an Oscar (laughs) because of my impact, my effect on the world? There wasn't a yes that jumped out at me inwardly when I thought about this. Um, What if we became a people who, as a church, we were nominated for having an impact on Marin? And again, it's not about our church. The story is always about Jesus. But what if he is doing a work in us in a way that people take note of the movie of Marin because of the impact that we are making. I'm going to kind of reword the quote that I read earlier. What is significant in our transfiguration is not some riveting and dramatic encounter. And can I just pause right there? I I don't know what the story is of your life, um, but I think we're all drawn to that one, you know, that one person that has that testimony, that big story of huge life change. You know, they used to be, um, you know, dealing in cocaine and all of this. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, or whatever, some big dramatic change. I remember when I was a kid, you know, I went from chewing gum in class to not chewing gum in class. I mean, it was just not, there, there wasn't a whole lot of change, at least from outward behaviors, but there were some inward attitudes that began the process of change. What is significant in our transfiguration is not some riveting and dramatic encounter, but what it affirms about us because of Jesus, namely that we are not just another exceptional human being, but a beloved child of God who is called to live on this earth as a representation of the divine. When we are transformed, we are a better representation of the one who is transforming us. Let's continue to walk through a couple more of these verses and uh, and then we'll uh, take some time to gather around the table for communion. Verses four and five have this to say, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now this kind of made a little bit of sense if you if you think about it from the standpoint of there was probably one of the most joyous feasts that they would celebrate every year was the Feast of Booths. I got to be really careful how I say that. Some of you would love to be a part of the Feast of Booze, but this is the Feast of Booths, okay? Um, it was when they would gather together and they would remember God's presence and His faithfulness in as they lived in temporary dwellings, booths, tabernacles, so to speak, as they dwelled, tabernacled, um, in that 40-year wilderness wandering. God tabernacled among them. And so he was kind of saying, um, this is a great, this is, this is the most joyous thing I have ever experienced. Let's build some little temporary dwellings and, and let's call it home. And then this is where I think it gets kind of funny. Um, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. And it's kind of like instead of God just kind of putting his finger up on Peter's mouth and saying, Shh, he just kind of sends this cloud, Peter. I need you to shut up for just a second here. There's something really big that I want to say. And he kind of hushes Peter just long enough to say, 
This is, it's not about this special guest appearance by Moses and Elijah. It's not about all of the special effects. I want you to know that you are in the presence of my beloved son. And I need you to stop talking and listen to him. How often does God need to interrupt us? How often does God need to just say, okay, um, I, you've got some great ideas here, but there, there is some listening that I need you to do. And again, when we get quiet, I think that's when we are pulled back to remember that our transformation, our transfiguration, our metamorphosis, regardless of how dramatic, is always, always about Jesus. And then, verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. There's a lot of ways that we could kind of picture what took place here. And I love the words that Matthew chose, um, or I'm I'm intrigued by the words that Matthew chose to describe um, what took place. And then uh, quoting Jesus is saying, get up, don't be afraid. That word get up um, is not just like, um, you know, hey, stand to your feet. It's the same word that's used in verse 9, where Jesus, is say, Jesus said to them, I don't want you to say anything to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So it's a picture of resurrection. He is saying, I want you to come to life. I want you to come to your senses. I want you to realize that right now is the time for you to be fully alive. And, and he says, don't be afraid. It's the Greek word uh, phobio, uh, our word for phobia. And it kind of has this, this picture of running scared. It's like you are so terrified, you just want to get out of there as fast as you can. And see, he is saying, um, the Lord is saying, listen, I, I don't want you to be scared off by this. I want you to stay right here with me. And then what I found most interesting, and I'm still trying to process this, and maybe this would be something in your, in your faith communities you can continue to talk about. If you've got a keen, I don't know, if you feel like God gives you some insights on this, feel free to share them with me after the service. But um, it's the word touched. Jesus came and he touched them. Can we agree that sometimes when we are most scared, we just need the gentle, assuring touch of someone? And maybe it's something that you offer as a parent to a child. Maybe it's something that you remember as a child. Um, it's just somebody coming alongside you, maybe a coworker that just realizes, man, you are in a tough spot right now. I, I see the fear that you're wrestling with. And it's just the, the gentle, reassuring way they put their arm around you. There's something really powerful about touch. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, offered loving healing touches to people. He touched a leper and brought healing to someone with leprosy. He did that um, in spite of the dangers to himself, in spite of the social stigma that went with that. He reached out and he touched the blind to give them sight. So there's a lot of times where we read about this word touch, and this one is, is just kind of an interesting use. Um, it's only used four times, and um, and I kind of, it, is this like a, t a tap on the shoulder? Or maybe they're on the ground and this is kind of a touch being like, I'm going to grab a hold of them and, and help them up. But this is actually what the word touch means in this case. 
It means to attach or fasten fire to something. And this, as I thought about it, and again, maybe you've got some great insights that you can share with me on this, but I kind of began to rethink the whole story. Instead of picturing Jesus as glowing like a lightsaber, what if the glow was he was on fire? What if this was a holy blaze? And we read in Revelation how the Son of God is pictured as one that has eyes of fire. What if this is an instance where he is touching them and he is saying, I am setting you on fire for what is to come? And not like setting them on fire in a way that would consume them. I think of it more like uh, with Moses in the burning bush. That, that bush was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. It was just to get Moses' attention and God spoke through it. And, and it's not Jesus' intent, I know, to consume those three apprentices. But what if it was to set them ablaze so that he could begin to speak through them? I don't know. But I just find this this concept of touch fascinating here. And I got to say that there is a part of me with a healthy dose of fear that is saying, God, I want to be set on fire for you. I don't understand all that that would be. I know that it would be far more challenging, far more Difficult than I can begin to comprehend. But there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to settle for anything less than the touch of God, even if it means setting me, especially if it means setting me on fire for God. Do you long for the touch of God in your life? Do you long for that touch, even if it is this, I'm setting you on fire because there is a world that I want to speak to through you. And I know that just as this goes on to say in um, verse 8, he touches them, a fire is lit, they come alive. He's saying, don't be scared off by this. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. When God lights a fire within me, when I have those moments, when my soul comes fully alive, obviously there's still all kinds of things taking place around me, but it's in those moments that I see only Jesus. When we are touched by Him, we will be in a place where we see Him and Him alone. And it's not that we're overlooking or we're ignoring anything else. It is through Christ that we see everything. We are seated in a circle in part because I want us, when we see one another, to see each other through Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. When we are set fire... When we are living ablaze for Him, we will have a new set of eyes as we go out into the world. And we will see Him. We will see the God flavors and touches all around us in nature and the beauty in each other. So who's with me? Who wants to be touched by God? As scary as that can be, 
who wants to be touched by God. And I wonder what could happen in Marin when the visual effects of that begin to change, not just us, but the people around us. Suffering and death was a part of Jesus' life. It's something that he talked about before his transfiguration. It's something that is a part of our own transformation. And we will remember that aspect in particular as we come to the communion table, as we come and we remember um, Jesus' body offered for us and his blood that is shed for us. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Um, those that are going to serve the elements, if you could make your way up here and Tom and our worship team make your way up to the stage. Let me say a simple prayer for us as we prepare our hearts for this time of remembering his suffering and his death that makes resurrection for us a possibility. Father, I thank you that you are the God who draws near. You are the God who is with us. I, I don't understand all that this means for you to touch us and to set our souls on fire, but um, Jesus did that for those three apprentices. I want to be touched. I want to be set on fire for you. Lord, may we remember your touch, your nearness, as we take the bread in our hand, as we dip it into the cup, as we raise it to our lips. May even that be a way that you touch us and begin to set a fire, a kindling within us that we carry from this place. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you would, stand to your feet. And as you feel uh, prepared to do so, you can make your way to Tim and Amory. Mm. Thank you so much for coming here and hopefully being eager to go out and to be a light to set, to share this fire that's within us with the world around us a um, couple of things just housekeeping if you could take uh, the uh, little pockets that are in the back of the seats and the bibles and pass those towards the center when we're done here in just a moment that would be great and just so you know we have uh, quite a few people that do a lot behind the scenes but we could use a whole lot more people to do some things behind the scenes, um, helping with communion, helping with all that takes place early uh, before everyone else arrives. And so we can be ready to put our best foot forward and greet people. Um, I'd love to talk to you about ways that you could jump in and help us on Sunday mornings in particular. So feel free to find me or uh, some of the others of us. Um, I'm going to close with this prayer. This is uh, from uh, Jan Richardson, A Circle of Grace, A Book of Blessings. And she, uh, she writes this, Blessed are you who bear the light in unbearable times. 
who testify to its endurance amid the unendurable, who bear witness to its persistence when everything seems in shadow and grief. Blessed are you in whom the light lives, in whom the brightness blazes, your heart a chapel, an altar where in the deepest night can be seen the fire that shines forth in you in unaccountable faith, in stubborn hope, in love that illumines every broken thing it finds. Amen.